Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Uh, it's going okay. You sound extra good today. Is that right? Which did you, did you do something different? Uh, you know, I'm just um, working out all kinds of differences. Are you in the basement? No. Mm. Oh, God. Mm. Although, although I have... <laughs> you think you're going to get past that groan, buddy? Woo! <laughs> I got follow-up for you. I uh, I have I have now achieved a state where the basement is a constant sixty five degrees, which is very appealing. On purpose? Yes. Well, I, it will never get it will never get nicer than that. Duh, I'll take a sixty five any day. Right? Oh God, it's so it's, nice. It's you know it used to be a root cellar and a like a coal a coal hole coal hole. Uh, and now it's um, you know now it's a constant temp. So mm-hmm. isn't that part of the see I I. Hmm. Hmm. I've been faking this for a long time. I, I think I know what a root cellar is. I, mm-hmm. That's where you put like tubers. For, mm-hmm. for you put you put up some tubers for winter. Is that what that means? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any other kinds of things? You get a rutabaga. I think that's. Is that a tuber? I don't know. It's it's one of those land vegetables. Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, you, you. That's where you put your canning. Yeah, we put, you put your, up peaches. Yeah, you put peaches up it down in mm-hmm. there. I think. Well, but maybe a root cellar is even. Even darkier and and mustier than that. All right, I'm going to look it up. I mean, you throw your roots down in a in a in a bin, right? The root cellar's got a root bin. I think it should have a bin in the cellar, uh huh. And you don't. And the ironical part is, you don't really put them up; you put them down, right? Put right. down, you do to a dog, you right. know. But I think less. you put your pe- you, pe- you put your peaches up mm-hmm. because peaches you put them up, up on a- peaches up roots down. Uh-huh. <laughs> you put your peaches up on the on the shelf. Down in the cellar. Okay, it's like the theme to, um, it's like the 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 theme song to the, um, yeah, that was a that was a, a wonderful reference I was about to make that I. It's early. It's very early. Vegetables just, stored in the root cellar primarily consist of p- potatoes, turnips, and carrots. Other uh-huh. food supplies placed in the root cellar over the winter months include beets, onions, jarred root preserves beets? and jam, salt meat, salt turbo, turbot turbo, salt herring. Salt peanut, salt peanut, winter squash, and cabbage. Uh, oh, Not a single mention of a rutabaga. No, I see. It I, has root right in the name. I think a rutabaga might be a vegetable capture. I, I, I've, I've never seen a rutabaga in use. I think it might be a canary trap or a false flag. When I see a rutabaga at the store, no disrespect to rutabagas. I'm sure somebody. It's, I'm sure that's somebody's. Well, one imagines that's somebody's favorite vegetable. I don't. Yeah. I wouldn't even know what part of it to eat. It looks impregnable. Uh, let's see. Rutabagas. I feel like I went through a stew making phase Mm -hmm. and I feel like someone got me on a rutabaga tip. Mm. Uh, and I think I put it in some stew. I, it's well. it says here. It's a cross between a cabbage and a turnip. Cabbage and a turnip. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you would even cross those things. The roots are. Yeah. I mean, you put a boy turnip and a girl cabbage in a room and get them. Give them a little liquor. You call it, you call it veg, veg, vegetable husbandry. You know, mm-hmm. you got to get them in the right state of mind. I don't know much about husbandry. It's never really appealed to me, but, you know, you know, rutabaga, you know, meets a uh, turnip coming mm-hmm. up through the up rye. Through the rye. Yeah. Yep. 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 You Feed know more about husbandry time. than I do. I don't know. It's one of those things we've talked about. Uh, what is it, 4 H? Is mm-hmm. that the one? Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of early. And, you know, and what brings people to want to do that, especially in areas with, that are not strictly farm areas, it's kind of like farm cosplay, but with a cool jacket. Do you go to the state fair? No. 
I, when was the last I, time I you wouldn't even know where fair. to go. Last day fair. I mean, we, what, what I can tell you is that we went to many, many fairs when I lived in Florida. We would go to regional fairs. I feel like I've been to the state fair. I was I was almost uh, killed on two occasions by Bob Hope at the Ohio State Fair when I was a child. Oh, really? Yeah, I was almost hit by his limousine. And you've seen Bob Hope? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So his limousine. I was I was running where I shouldn't be running. Bad mm-hmm. on me. Mm-hmm. I almost got hit by a limousine. Limousine goes by, and, and I look in the back seat and I I I, I exclaim, Mister Hope. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know a lot of young people aren't going to appreciate how cool it is to almost get killed by Bob Hope. But That's he was very he was cool. Arguably, this country's best known, most popular comedian in his day. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, he's the he's the comedian. He's the er comedian. He's, the he's like the original Tom Hanks. You know what I mean? Oh, boy. He's yeah. Golly, yeah. Bob Hope. You know, I saw Count Basie at Disneyland, and I thought that I had some real connection to a, to to the real America. Mm. But you you almost got killed by Bob Hope mm-hmm. two times. You say? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I wrote it down. I haven't thought about it in a really long time. But uh, yeah, yeah, I was at the Ohio State Fair. Now I like a I like a fair. My ongoing favorite fair in Florida, which is a lot of F's, was the Strawberry Festival in Plant City where they celebrated the harvesting of strawberries. And there were many strawberry-related... First of all, it was a generic, you know, uh, fair. You could see, like, Night Ranger or a country band. Yeah. But you could also, like, go make your own strawberry shortcake. And I like anything with strawberries. The doll? Hmm? The doll? Which one? Strawberry. Sh- you could make your own strawberry shortcake doll. Oh, like a Build-A-Bear type situation. Yeah. Yeah. No? I don't think that was if they did, you know they did not have the rights for it. It was not a build a bear situation. I see, I see, I it see. It was <laughs> Rutabaga sponge cake. <laughs> I've just I've been spending a lot of time on the internet lately and uh and so mm. I'm back in this whole mode of like, oh yeah, people are just making uh making sex dolls for themselves based on just whatever whatever they want now. Oh, well, I would There's like to no, put a no giant pin in that because I would love to hear more about that. Is this like the anime guys with the pillows? Similar I kind think- of thing? I think so. I think the technology, you know, now that China's gotten into the game, boy, it's just the whole the, the whole industry has exploded. Is it disrupting, John? I imagine if you wanted a strawberry shortcake doll in that style, you could get one pretty cheaply. You could anyway. probably you could probably Amazon Prime a pretty generic strawberry shortcake fuck buddy, but if you wanted a bespoke model with like yeah. an articulating cake or one yeah, one that looked like uh one that looked like Annie, or look look like uh, like like the lady from Lost, or something like that. Like if you had a real specific idea in mind of which how you wanted your uh, cake to be shorted, you you could probably you know what three D three D printing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe no, you could get see, different faces you could put on it. People keep telling me people in the three D printing world keep telling me that three D printing is not not as great as as we all want it to be yet. Oh boy, everybody sure talked about it for a while. Well, they sure did, but I was like, hey, I've got a thing that I want three D printed. And the answer was no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. You can't. That's that's. You can't do that yet. And I was like, well, what about this simpler version of that? No, you can't really do that yet either. Hmm. Oh, I see. So this is one of those. This is like a. This is a. This is a little bit of a. It's a teaser. Three D printing. Now you can sit around and think. It was kind of like remember when we first heard about the internet. You were like, I was gonna oh, say, this I was is gonna amazing. Say, I was gonna say VR, where it feels <laughs> yeah. like every every three to eight years we hear how VR is really there. Yeah. Have you done a recent VR? Tour. John, I've never done a VR. I, I, there, I have a couple of people here in Seattle. Seattle's a big VR community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
and I went to one of the VR startups. Actually, wow. went to the shop. <laughs> sat down in the chair. You physically went there. Went there. Okay. Sat down in the chair. A lot of people there. A lot of lot of a uh, lot of people with mustaches. A lot of people with uh, top knots. Mm-hmm. All looking at their computers, beavering away. And they're like, sit in the chair. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. They put the whole apparatus on. And uh, and then I went through <laughs> went through a thing, and it felt like I was. I felt like I was at the IMAX at the uh, Air and Space Museum in 1979. Hmm. I was like, and now we're flying, and now we're going over a cliff. Ah! I bet it it can be really cool. I mean, I'm excited when any kind of technology is moving forward, even if the tip of the iceberg that we see is kind of silly. Because the the truth is that VR is going to do lots of, have lots of nice knock-on effects, like computers will get more powerful. You know, the things that as a result, I have no desire to do that. With that said, if I go to a Disney property and I go on one of those, or, you know, or a Universal, I'll go on a Harry Potter ride, and I'll Mm. think, like, it's amazing how you can trick my mind into thinking that I'm falling. And I'm a little bit impressed by that. Yeah, that is impressive. I think that the I think AR is where I'm I'm excited. Mm-hmm. But anything that happens in VR, I just feel like the that the if your body isn't engaged in it, it's always just going to be a show. Mm-hmm. You're just going to put it on. It's, like it's going to be a show. A demo. It's a demo, right? Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're not if you can't touch with your fingers and if you're not actually walking in the environment, then it's yeah you're just sitting in a chair. Uh, watching a thing and and no matter how yeah. realistic it is no matter how much you're like i'm going through the room it's like no matter how much you're playing mist mm-hmm. you're never <laughs> you're, <Nice> never, <laughs> you're never gonna be uh it's you're never gonna um get get across that uncanny valley it's gonna be more virtual than reality yeah, whereas whereas AR really thrills me. AR is, you know, John, I got to tell you, there's all kinds of applications for AR, and it is existing on your device. Like, there's, it is pretty weird and pretty cool. I remember the very first time I used something like that that I can remember might have been at Max FunCon, where I didn't want to be around people for a while, and I went and I wandered around uh, outside the property, and I used the various Sky apps which is really fun when it's when you're somewhere dark with lots of stars like it really really works. Yeah. That was the first time. Another time I had this really cool app that pulled information from Wikipedia and maybe Yelp, but wherever you were, you could hold up your phone and it would like show you the actual stuff. I thought that was pretty clever. I think there's an app and, and, and like as of today or actually as of yesterday, I got this app called Tap Measure, which is an AR measuring app for your phone where you can mm. like point it at the four corners of a device uh, or of, a, of an area and it scans you could like build cool. a model of your whole room cool. you, i hope you see where i'm going with this i do i don't know if vr has a role in john's life right now i think ar i could think of several ways ar could have a huge role in your life right now somebody was just telling me about the uh about the about like some kind of little scanner in your phone a um that would be based around maybe like a like a connects style i forget what those are called but like three-dimensional yeah special camera things that you would be able to stand in a room and the thing would just do measurements of your body mm. and and then just throw that to custom clothing makers where it's like oh you want to order oh. this shirt just put your camera in the corner and it'll scan your size yeah like siri will this make me look dumpy yeah that would be so f- fresh i'm imagining your ongoing project 
to museumify your collections. Mm. I could see you doing an inventory of your current uh, extant collection and being able to model that in, in various ways. Mm. And I could certainly see how your uh, podcast studio of the future and your root cellar, like putting that together could be really useful. You could, you could like scan the room and decide where you want your captain's console to be and everything. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. I Now that I'm no longer... Um, now that I no longer have a non-disclosure agreement with Snapchat, mm-hmm. I can speak. I can oh. speak more. I never actually had one. But. Were you were you harassed? Uh, harassed on Snapchat? Yeah, well, I don't. No. I, I don't know what you can say. No, no. You know, my uh, millennial girl, millennium girlfriend was a Snapchat. Oh, employee. the Uber NDA of admitting that your millennium girlfriend worked at Snapchat. Right, right. The, really, the that's, big, you're out of that officially. You can say, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, like time passages. Mm-hmm. Buy me a ticket on the last plane home tonight. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so now when I reflect back on my Snapchat years, on my, on my, <laughs> on my time in the trenches there mm. with Snapchat, mm-hmm. I, you know, I was in a very privileged position prior to the release of the Snapchat glasses. Uh, you may remember this was a big event mm-hmm. in recent. They were, they were uh, rare as hen's teeth, very hard yeah, to find. That's right. That's right. Yeah, Matt Howie even sent me an email during the during the the uh, excitement. Is he going to use it, it to open his garage door? He said, "What do I have to do to get a pair of those glasses?" <laughs> uh, you know, within that that first week of just like uh-huh. they, they were they were fifteen hundred dollars a pair. You know, they were just going crazy. And you, didn't you buy them out of like a vending machine? Yeah, you couldn't get them anywhere except these vending machines, and Snapchat would put a vending machine somewhere and not tell anybody, and then it was just like, "Oh, there's a vending machine over there," and you know, they had this whole. This has got to bu- be the most millennium thing ever. It real like pop, up, pop up marketing $1,500 camera glasses stands. Yeah. And you could only buy, I think you could buy two. That was, you were, you could go to the machine, you could buy two and then it was done. And so during the run up to the glasses, right? I mean, my lady was the lawyer there and she, she was the lawyer of the labs that were developing the technologies, uh-huh. the, the glasses and stuff, not, not app side, but like, Real world side. So these glasses, we're all talking about these glasses. It's all shush, shush, shush. Nobody can talk about it. And little by little, like the glasses start to, what they are and what they're intended to do start to trickle to me. I can, I, I see a prototype of them. I'm, you know, that like Millennium Girlfriend has a pair all of a sudden and we're playing with them. And this is, you know, long time before it, it's, it can be talked about. And I got really excited about it at the beginning, at the with, with the teaser, because I thought, of course, this is this is the beginning of real useful AR. It's going to be glasses where you put them on, and it puts Snapchat filters on people in real time. Right. It was just like this is going to be so killer. I'd be, I'd be thinking gonna... about stuff like, can I like my my? Ever since I was a kid, I've always thought. Now I think it's a terrible idea. But when I was a kid, I thought it'd be cool if we were always recording everything that we see, and you could go like, oh, oh was that really Craig T. Nelson I saw at the airport? Let me roll that back. You know that yeah, kind right. of thing. Is that what is that what that person said to me? And you could just go back. But even remember, still, like just the ability to have these little round glasses with a camera in them, and you could just you could be snapping and chatting like all the time. Well, when when Google Glass came out, my friend Dave Minert, who owns that bar, I've taken you there, the Five Point here in Seattle. Mm-hmm. They 
put up a very conspicuous sign that said, no Google Glass allowed in the bar. It was part of their overall policy to be like mm-hmm. as punk as punk as possible at all times. But that got into the New <laughs> York Times. Nothing's more punk rock than prohibiting things <laughs> with signs. Yeah, that's right. No vaping. <laughs> so I put my hair up into my hat and went in to ask him why. <laughs> uh, Is that uh, everywhere a sign? Uh, yeah. Huh. <laughs> uh, and so, but then as it got closer and closer, right, now the, these, these specs, it, it was clear, it was clear as they got closer to being released that they didn't do anything. They were just... They were very cool-looking glasses, I have to say. But <laughs> the all they the did goggles, was they do nothing. All they did was just take like thirty-second snaps, hmm. and you couldn't even see it. Didn't there was no playback mechanism? It was just a little tiny camera in the corner of some sunglasses. Oh, it's a, a thin client eyeglass. Yeah, it sends, yeah, it, yeah. sends it to your device. You're gonna deal right. with it there. That's right, and then it, then it's on your phone, and then you you can post it or whatever. Uh, but it wasn't. Hmm. It didn't have any. The, the glasses themselves did. Did zilch basically? It was just like holding a phone up to your, to the side of your head, and and I guess it was cool if you wanted to, if you were somebody that wanted to Snapchat yourself like skiing off a off a mogul or something. But otherwise, most people just hold up their phone, mm-hmm. and you couldn't selfie, which was the number one thing that made Snapchat interesting to people. Right. So right, that would be it, some acrobatic glassware. Couldn't do it, right? No. You'd have to have your friend selfie, snap you, and you'd try to snap your friend. And that's not how Snapchat even worked. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't meant to be like that kind of thing. So anyway, there was this huge rollout, and and um, Millennium Girlfriend and I actually went to New York City for the big rollout. And there was a pop-up store that they built right next to Apple, the Apple store across the street from uh, Central Park. And it was like all secret and covered in scaffolding. And we went there the night before, and it was a big, big, empty, cold, empty room. And at the very end of this cold, empty room was this little vending machine that looked like a Pokemon. And it was the cutest little vending machine in the world. And you kind of walk up to it, and there's a computer screen on it. It sees you. And it's like, hi. And you're like, hi. Hmm. And it says, do you want these things? And you're like, I really do. And then mm. it, like, you have a little fun, th- fun moment with it. And it gives you the little things, which are beautiful. And they're in a little case that's beautiful. Everything about it was beautiful. Uh, they just didn't do anything. And so then it was release day. And there's this line down the block, and like Kanye's managers there, and mm. and uh, and it's just this whole big scene, and everybody's trying to, everybody's clamoring for these things, and they're on the internet. I swear to you, they were like fifteen hundred dollars a pair. And uh, I'm getting emails from Matt Howie right and left, and I I went uh, with my lady to the event, and she's there kind of lawyering around, and then. Someone says to oh 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 oh, and there are like tons and tons of Snapchat employees there, and they're all um, they're all super casual. But when you when you really know the deal, like their T-shirt and jeans like cost fifteen hundred dollars each or whatever. I mean, it's like very very tech tech up cool up down cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Everybody's got a headset on. They all have little earpieces and microphones, and and the word gets to us like, do you guys want to go? In the line up to the machine, do you guys want 
to get some specs yourself? And we looked at each other and we were like, sure, you know, like, yeah, of course we get it. We get to go up there because they were, it was an embargo, right? You couldn't employees of Snapchat did not get these things for free. This was like, sometimes he would drop. And when I say he, I mean, whoever the kid is that runs Snapchat, who's like 28 years old. Todd, this thing is Todd Snap. Todd Snap, right. The Todd Snap of the, of the East Coast Snaps. Uh, he would put these little Snapchat machines like in the Mojave Desert, or he'd drop one into the Amazon. Mm. And it was like, what are you going to do now? Mm-hmm. What are you, they're, they're, these are available, but only at this thing that's like up the Amazon River. Todd understands our- scarcity. And people were like, ah, I'm buying a $20,000 plane ticket to fly. <laughs> anyway, we walk up to the machine and like, all eyes are on us, right? People have been waiting all day to get in this, and we're like, we've cut ahead in the line, and it's this cold warehouse, and people are standing around looking at us, and we walked up to the machine, and and it's the machine. <laughs> Put in $1,500 in singles. <laughs> the machine is just like, she's like, You're sitting there Hi. flattening out dollar bills. <laughs> yeah. Hang on. I've got uh, like big, big peanut butter jars full of quarters. <laughs> But we walk up and we're looking at it and we're we're talking to the machine. The machine's like, hey, you know, what's up? And we're like, oh, man, you know, we can pick a couple of different colors and we have some decisions to make. Like, which colors do we want? And, we're, and she and I are looking at each other and we're, we're like, oh, well, we should get some for this person and that person. And, and we both kind of just sort of arrived at this moment of like, I don't I don't really want one of these to you hmm. uh, no i don't and, and this is i'm mean, just not to interrupt but this is after having played with the prototypes and the emerging you'd, ar- you'd already had experience with these things as it was getting uh prototyped and in the like three days leading up to the release of the thing we had been walking around manhattan wearing them okay almost like you got like a demo from apple like you, you got this unit to try out but it wasn't gonna be yours to keep yeah and it was it was like you know we'd walk a, we'd walk around with these things on until we saw somebody looking at us, like some mm-hmm. young person who was like, oh, my God, are those? And then we would quickly take them off and, like, run away, like, mm-hmm. run down the steps of the subway, to like, because we were the Beatles in 64. Mm-hmm. You'd be set upon by top knots. That's right. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my ah! God. Run, run, run. Uh, and we ended up not, uh, we ended up, like, standing there. And, and basically, the only thing we could think of is, well, we could really, we could, if we, if we bought a bunch of these, we'd go turn them on the internet real mm-hmm. fast. And it was like, well, yeah, that's not really who we are either. So, so that was an example of a, of a tech moment in recent days where I felt like super excited about what a thing could be. And then as the thing got closer and closer to real, it was, it was clearer and clearer. Uh, this is not going to be, this isn't going to be cool at all. This is just going to be a, this is like a, this is a thing that is going to lay the groundwork for someone else to come along yeah. and do the thing which we all know is coming, which is to make a Google Glass that looks cool. Like, the problem with Google Glass is that it was a, a good idea that wasn't very functional yet. It was and dorky and a little bit ahead of its time. Right. The thing about Snap Glass was they looked super duper cool and did zilch. Now... We're still waiting for someone to come out with a with a glasses that looks cool that can also do things. And and the day it happens, man, somebody's gonna 
Somebody's going to get to be a rich person. They're going to get to put their vending machine in the Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a lot of thoughts on that. Are you ready? I mean, are you ready to? Oh, they're not, they're not, not that interesting. But are you I, ready to VR? Are you? You are. You're ready to AR. Well, there's a couple things with that. I mean, you know, anytime some new thing comes along, and I haven't prepared anything for this, but I'm thinking about like how, uh, like for example, for a long time, a lot of people have said, I really hope Apple makes a real like not just Apple TV the set top device, but I really hope Apple makes a TV, and like I I don't. I'm on uh, the infinite time scale, as John Syracuse says. Yeah, sure, that could that could happen. But like, really, do you really want that? Like, I, I want fewer things that have to be this one way. I mean, think about the way that your phone went from being something that was a flip phone that had phone numbers and the game Snake on it to being something where you could put your own put apps on there that did lots of stuff. And now it became not a dumb device. It's a very smart device. But the smartness of the device came out of what you were able to put on this really top-notch thing that you were, was a pleasure to use even without apps. The problem is, though, would you ever just buy those round glasses with a little camera on it? No. I mean, like, what you, what you want is you want something bigger out of that. So, I mean... The the real uh, real technology, it seems like it's going to be more like a sci-fi contact lens type situation where you take whatever mm-hmm. glasses you already have, affix this almost impossibly tiny dingus to it, and get all of the functionality out of that mm-hmm. without needing to have dorky glasses that have a camera mm-hmm. built into them. I know, mm-hmm. I know that's very you know future stuff, but that's that's when you'll know it's arrived. I mean, you have to go through these stages of awkwardness. You have to learn what doesn't work. You have to learn, you know, uh, just just the component parts get cheaper and more powerful. All that changes. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm always skeptical of the first version of anything, not because I think it's a bad idea, but because, like, just what you described, which is there's so much stuff out there. I'm excited about it. It arrives, and it's fun for 90 minutes. And you go, but like, you- this, is a, this is a gizmo. This is a gadget. It's a fun thing, but, like, this is not going to be part of my life yet. You were an early adopter of the Apple Watch, am I correct? Early-ish. I'm trying to think of what I was a really early adopter of. Podcasts, probably. But yeah. as far as technology... Twitter. You were early on Twitter. early on Twitter. But as far as like the hardware stuff... Okay, look at it this way. Talk about watches. I've had... like I don't wear watches. Um, right. But I got like a sleep watch. Where, of course, I'm obsessed with my sleep. And another friend of mine, uh, who was also obsessed with his sleep, talked about this watch you can get. And it was so dorky i mean it looked it looked like not like a not even as cool as a dive watch but it was like having like the the the, um box from an engagement ring on your wrist all the time it was just this huge ungainly thing (laughs) and then when you were when you woke up in the morning and you said i'm done sleeping then you would go and attach it via usb to your computer and it would suck down that information into a terrible app and like okay that's it you know it was like a palm pilot for sleep in some ways Whereas now today, I have a Fitbit that automatically detects when I go to sleep. It automatically... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I want to talk yeah. about my sleep at some point. But yeah, no, it does all that automatically now. And it's 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 fine. Early adapters of stuff. I've bought a lot of digital cameras over time. Yeah. I love, you know... It, I remember. When, yeah, when I first met you, it was kind of like when I was really getting into this whole, the whole stack of like digital camera plus Flickr as a thing. And I really, yeah. that was, and Flickr was a really fun community and a great uh, app, a great site. And so that was a nice thing. You were an early adopter of LiveJournal. I was, I loved LiveJournal. Yeah. But I look at, it's funny now, I look at photos even of like around the time, well, certainly stuff I took on my first digital camera in 1999 is hilarious. Like pictures of my now <laughs> wife and me around the time I first got a digital camera. Mm-hmm. And it, it, they're just, they're just like a colorful smudge. 
It's mm. it's so weird. I mean, and you know, there's, there's those services that'll like say, oh, you know, here's photos you took this many years ago, and even photos taken during my daughter's lifetime. I can't believe the difference in quality. I'm not sure where I'm going with this. I haven't I haven't been an early adopter of, of that that many things. You did so many great Charles Peterson style uh, camera effects with your digital camera. Oh, the rock and roll flash! Yeah, I ruined oh, a lot of photos so with that. I was, so cool. I was ruining photos with filters long before filters existed. I know. I have I have some great photos. There's a picture of me with some chopsticks in San Francisco holding up some kind of bean, and you have digitally smeared it yeah. with light, and it's like so cool. Or there's a picture of Madeline and me talking at the. Oh, yeah, I got a lot of good pictures of your mom that way. Mm. <laughs> Tell her I said hi. Smear. <laughs> but, I don't think also, I have any of those. I'd love to get oh, some pictures. Oh, sure. It was when you guys were doing your little um, Inside Seattle mini tour for probably putting the days to bed. And we all hmm. and Josh and Emily and everybody oh, were like... Oh, I don't like, have any of those pictures. Really? I got some good no. photos. I got some of your dad. Did lots no, of, I love Had lots those. of high-quality hang time with your dad at, I think, a Death Cab show you guys played oh, at. Oh, give yeah. me some, some, some shots. I'll snap them to you. I'll snap them yes, to you. Yes. Snap them. But, you know, uh, a lot of people yeah. don't realize that, that the first contact I had with you was mm-hmm. contact that I don't think you were... I, I, I'm not 100% sure that you even were aware of. It was... I mean, I know you were aware of it, but I don't think when we actually met in person that we made the connection right away, hmm. which was that a kid came up to me in Boston. Uh, <laughs> this guy in San Francisco like, stalking you. <laughs> no, he said, uh, here, hold this bag of <gasps> pirate's booty. The pirate's booty, Dan. That would be my friend yeah. Dan. He puts yeah. a booty in your hand and we took a photo. Yes. Yeah, little Dan in Boston, who was a sweet guy, and he would come... He He's came like so in his long 30s now. <laughs> he was at Emerson at the time, and now he's a big boy. Yeah, he was. He was little then, and oh, he was Dan. one of the. He was one of the mafia of indie rockers that would come to, to all indie rock shows. Yeah, but he was like, put this, hold this thing of pirates booty. I want to take a picture for you for a friend of mine in San Francisco who has a blog of rock musicians holding pirates. You had sh- our memory serves. You had short hair and no beard at the time. I looked. You, I looked you, like I was seventeen. Yeah, and I'm like, like a scallop. <laughs> and I'm, I look like a scallop, and I'm holding this pirate's booty with this, this big dumb smile of like, okay, it's the because that was what the internet was to me at the time. It was just like, it's no wonder you had such a strange idea of what the internet. Was. Yeah, I was like, okay, so a guy in San Francisco and you in Boston are friends, first of all, yeah. and you send him these pictures, yeah. and he puts them on the internet okay and so i see that picture pop up every once in a while and i'm like oh yeah that was really like i honestly did think that the internet was a was just some kind of like a message board for nerds sharing this type of of thing and then when i met you which wasn't that much longer some i remember having a conversation where you were like oh you you're in the pirate's booty thing yes and I was like, that's you? I'm looking, at these, the I'm looking at these here. We got David Cross. We got Mac from Super Chunk. We got my dog. Right. Uh, let's see. I think Matthew Cause is in here somewhere. Sure. I'm sure. All of the extant long winners at the time are in here. My friend Matt the Surfer. Oh, yeah. These are good. These are good, Early good days. photos. Are, are, is Flickr still available to people? Can people still go to Flickr? <sighs> yeah, I mean, I what happened? Know. Why didn't they? Why didn't they become the future? 
Oh, they gosh. were the present. It's a long story. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think the the shortish. Oh, there's so many cute pictures with dogs too. These are so cute. I'll see if I can find yours in here. Um, well, you know, they got bought up by the Yahoo. Oh, look. Oh, it's Jay from Sloan, and there's Matt from Oranger. There's Chris yep. from Sloan. This is good. These are good photos. Um, Copy tape. Look. I should close this. Oh, somebody put it in Mayor Fiorello's statue hands. Look at that. Uh, you know, they got bought by Yahoo, and everything was fine for a while. And then they got kind of under and de-resourced. And I went and actually visited, with, did a little mini talk with the Flickr group after the acquisition. And they were still like so game and they were trying so hard. But eh, there's no wood behind the arrow. You know, once you're part of the, the big company, it's it's hard. And it's it sucks because it was such a great app. It was so fun to use. And it really was like a little community. Like it was one of those rare things where like at the beginning, this is so fucking boring. At the beginning of that kind of exciting Web 2.0 era, there was like all these great little things that people would get on and it was actually useful and actually fun. And you actually would meet people through it, you know, like like LiveJournal, which is very Web 1.0. Mm-hmm. But I'll find that photo for you. It's got to be, I'm, I got to close that tab though, because I'm looking at all these old pictures and boy, the photos are terrible. Cameras used to be bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were terrible. They were terrible, terrible, terrible. Yeah. The first digital camera I ever saw was at a restaurant in Seattle where I used to go to get late night stroganoff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> and this was during that phase where, you know, when I was a little kid, when I was a kid, I loved stroganoff because stroganoff was made with hamburger and cream of mushroom soup. Mm-hmm. That was back when America understood how to make garbage food for kids oh god campbell soup company they really got behind that they said look there's stuff you could do with our soup that you have not even thought about yet yeah throw some hamburger in it and then put it over noodles now where are we yeah we're somewhere we're somewhere further down the road we think think we're better well so i started going to restaurants uh at, at that at that magical age when i could suddenly afford to buy not just tacos right uh, because I had a job and I could go to places in the at 11 o'clock at night that were open and I could order things that I wanted. And I saw stroganoff on the menu and I was like, ambrosia, stroganoff. Uh-huh. And it showed up and it was flank steak and onions cooked and put over noodles. Huh. And here's the thing that you don't want, which is a long cooked onion over a plate of noodles. Uh-uh. Because a, an onion, a cooked onion looks like a noodle. I don't think that's anybody's favorite food. No, no, no. And it was the, it was an early experience of the overfancification of things. And I realized that, oh, stroganoff, I guess this is how it was originally. And maybe the hamburger version was an abomination. But this is way worse. And But I loved stroganoff, I thought. And so I spent years eating flank steak stroganoff, but dreaming of hamburger stroganoff. <sighs> And yeah. now I'm finally at the age where I can just go back and eat bean casserole and hamburger stroganoff, and nobody can tell me different. Uh-uh. It's like I can I can have cafeteria food for the rest of my life, and people are people yell at me. They yell at me with their eyes. Uh-huh. I was at a party the other day, and I was like, "So I get up in the morning." Oh, they were like, "Tell me about how do you do a podcast?" And I said, "Well, what I do is I get up in the morning, I microwave a cup of coffee, and I go talk to my friends." And they were like, "It was a it was a husband and wife." And they both like took a small step back and were like, <clears throat> microwave your coffee? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, don't get me started. Here we go. I microwave my coffee. I have a little, I, then I microwave some hamburger stroganoff. Mm-hmm. I sit, in, sit on the front seat of my dad's car, which is like a couch. Sigh. Mm-hmm. Go to the state fair. You know, part of it is I blame the internet. 
Well, as with so many things, I blame the internet. I was thinking about this today, and it, lots of people, lots of old men have talked about this. You, you kind of there's a part of you that pines for a time when you could be at a party or a dinner or waiting for a bus and have an argument, not an argument, but a you know an argument with somebody about oh, whether sure. something existed. Not an argument, but an argument. Yeah. But an argument. <laughs> yeah, it's an argument, but yeah. And and there was not really a way to resolve it. It's like you're not going to get on a bus and go to the library and go to Famous Firsts, which is a great <laughs> book. Uh, you're not going to go like look at an encyclopedia. You can't because you got to get on your goddamn bus. And like this there was is something... why this is. I'm sorry to interrupt. You this know. is why the Guinness Book of World's Records existed. No, I know Robert Earl Hughes. But go on. And now today, you can, like, before somebody's done having their uh, out-of-nowhere reckon about something, somebody else has already looked it up, and you could say, no, no. No, 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 no. You know? But, like, the, the other side of that is, back in the day, you could also get a blanket party from a bunch of people who thought that, no, you're doing Stroganoff wrong. Mm-hmm. So I guess now, you, you know, as the aggrieved party, you could pull up your phone and say, no, no, there are many kinds of Stroganoff. Like, I, mm. I can do this anyway. This is, this is my house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's well, a, it's a, really is a, it's a land of contrast, but I do kind of miss the the unknowability of things. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do too. But I had a I had a, a interesting insight uh, not very long ago, which was that <clears throat> my dad, being uh, the greatest generation mm-hmm. uh, the ever, the ever of all time, um, born in 1921, he and his cohort, which includes Sammy Davis Jr. Mm-hmm. Well, that's you can't and John F. that. And John F. Kennedy. What about Johnny Carson? Would he be part of that cohort? Johnny Carson, absolutely part of that cohort. Uh, they continued to be the prime movers of the culture, I would say, all the way through the Beatles, all the way until about, well, until about 1968. And we like to look back and think, oh, you know, from the Beatles on, it was the youth Mm-hmm. Or even from Elvis on, it was the youth of America and rock and roll. But those people were just children in terms of the culture, uh, who was really driving the, the cultural, the culture. Mm-hmm. And it was only in about the late 60s where the where kids in college and their protests and the, you know, and the fact that the 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 liberal dream of my dad's generation, which was Kennedy, Martin Luther King, LBJ, all of that stuff all everybody was killed basically and then in right about the late 60s right about 1970 the greatest generation just lost the just steering wheel got taken from them and my dad was you know an absolute like as far left as you could be but it took him several years to get to an understanding that you could protest against the the army mm-hmm. being in vietnam he was just he it had never occurred to anybody of his generation to be against the we war. See, we see this played out in uh, episode 9, I believe it is, of the, the Vietnam War series that I've now watched twice, mm-hmm. where like it was, it was pretty awkward and pretty weird, especially after the Veterans Against the War march when things got further radicalized and they found yeah. themselves that they were, that even though the tide of opinion across the nation was turning against the war, now they were like radicalizing everybody by saying, oh no, but you're, you, you're doing this protest wrong. Oh. Like it was, it must have been hard to know like what kind of footing to find at that time. Well, my mom was against the war from the very beginning, and it was a contention between. It was a contention within their marriage, but you know they were like, 
that was the way liberals were. It's the way liberals still are, right? She was like against the war, and dad was like, you can't be against the war. It's the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, my dad's first wife, this is a little known story in my family. My dad's first wife, who was the mother of my older brothers and sister, at one point my dad was running for uh, like a major position in the Washington State Democratic Party. And his wife, Jean, um, decided to run against him. <laughs> I've never heard this. If I and have, I've forgotten this. This is good. Oh, so my if God. You can, if you can imagine what it was like around the dinner table between <gasps> those two. Was he already declared and running? And then at oh, one yeah, point he was, she, oh, he, shit, he, dog. He was running, and then she was like, mm-hmm. I don't think so, and threw her hat in the ring. <laughs> I should mention something. <laughs> so, you know, this is the early 50s, and this was like what this was. this was how... Well, their marriage didn't work out, let's well, say. It happens. Uh, but they were married for eight years or something, eight, nine years. That's that's not nothing. Not nothing, considering that she's running against you. And, in, in, uh, you know, she and she ran at, she ran at him from the left, too. I mean, he was the he he thought he was a wobbly. Oh, I bet he didn't see that coming. Oh, no, you never see it. You never see it coming when they run at you from the left. Oh. Not when you think you're a good liberal. Mm. But one of the things that that one of the insights that I had was in 1968, my dad was 47, right? So 1970, he was my age, 49 years old. Oh, my God. And that was the moment that he and his friends finally just the culture just went past them. And from that point on, the the, the baby boomers were determining what the what the dialectic was Mm -hmm. and the, the greatest generation just gradually had to cede that they were no longer, I mean, they could, you could get hip, Mm -hmm. but you no longer were really laying it out there. It almost seems like, like, I guess this happens a lot, but it was so, so clear and such stark relief then that like you, like any American, you still get a vote on what this stuff is, but you don't have this, veto power or like utter primacy of opinion right. anymore that like there's a lot of people that don't aren't going to automatically agree with you because you're from the greatest generation right because you, you're the dads or the moms right mm-hmm. and Car- carson retained his cultural um presence but but you see him even turn throughout the 70s into somebody that when dean martin was on the show Carson was real comfortable, and then he would have young people on and just sort of be like, so what are you folks all up? You know, what are you kids doing today? It wasn't so far off uh, Tiny Tim. I mean, it was a little bit like you were having these people on as a curiosity. Yeah, right. And and Dick Cavett was more, you know, was more on the street oh, or yeah. whatever. Um, but, but, but that's the age that we are now, you and I. Mm-hmm. And... Unfortunately, because Generation X was so small, we never had we never had the feeling that like we were making the culture really. It kind I think of just it's fair went, to say no one has really cared what we think. Never, never cared. Uh, the the baby boomers. I'm not, I'm not, saying, that's, I'm not with, saying that's wrong per se, but like, there's not that many generations that should have the right to be uh, listened to. <laughs> nobody, really, nobody cared. Nobody cared. No, we were just too small, and we were just we were too. Even from an early age, we were too resigned. We were just like yeah. we're losers. Mm-hmm. 
but but this this feeling now of being 49 and looking and saying like oh it doesn't matter it, it doesn't matter whether i'm for or against the war <laughs> it's just and it's not like you go out to pasture but you definitely feel like you I mean, it's not even that I hand over the reins. I never had the reins. You never had the reins. It's just like you watch the reins get handed over in front of you, and you're like, I didn't even get to touch the reins. I'm, we're like the Prince Charles of <laughs> cultures. It's just like I've been sitting here in my double-breasted jacket until the sleeves are all frayed, waiting to be king, even for a minute. You know, and My, da- it's just my like, daughter has actually asked about that. She's because and it's it's really interesting to think about. The man's in his seventies at this point, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, and she's what ninety something. Yeah, always a always a prince bride, never a, never a never queen a, queen. Maid. Yeah, <laughs> never a queen mother. He'll go right to being queen mother. Oh, <laughs> uh, is that Harry? No, who is it? Who's who's the lead son? Uh, Jimmy. He, he has uh, two large sons, right? Yeah. Which, what uh, Bob? Bob. Bob. King Bob. He the 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 son the number one son top son is very handsome, mm-hmm. and then he surprisingly I think lost his hair and everybody was a little He's, surprised. He looks a lot like his beautiful mother, but with a receding hairline. Yeah, it's yeah. a shame. It has receded all the way, pretty much. Mm. Uh, but it did it at a young age when he still was, you know, when he still was so beautiful. That sucks. Um, and he didn't do a Donald Trump where he was just like, you know what? I'm yeah. going to be standing out in front of an airplane a lot for the next several years where my <laughs> hair is going to be blown all around. So I'm going to just I'm going to be president baseball hat. I'm going to make. The, oh, yeah. Or you're going to become president uh, pastry hair. Well, he was always pastry hair guy. Right. But he became pre- he became candidate baseball hat pretty early on. That's smart. You think that was a logistical decision based on planes and oh, planes, planes and helicopters? Sure. Because you're standing around. You can't. I mean. In the past, he was photographed always under his own conditions, mm-hmm. and he could have three people like in the closet spraying lacquer on him. Mm-hmm. But I think I think early on he was standing out on a tarmac somewhere uh, while the plane was winding up, and his hair was standing straight up like the like a sailfish fin. You may not be aware that I collect and curate <clears throat> photographs, uh, unflattering photographs of the president. No, really. Oh, yeah. it's a whole, it's a, it's, it was in the early days of the um, uh, whatever this is we're going through. It became a. <laughs> I have several small forms of therapy that are mostly just for me, and uh-huh. uh, one of them was every time I find a really good unflattering photo, and a lot of them are him and his his, his giant ass uh, playing golf. Uh, but I do have a few of his hair giving up the ghost a little bit. And like a lot of guys with that kind of pastry hair, he has some bits that are very, very long. And once they come away from the primary pastry unit. Yeah, they're way up there, aren't they? (laughs) Oh, brother. (laughs) (laughs) You can see them get caught a little bit in like in like uh, minor tornadoes where the hair is like not only up, but it's also sort of twisting around. You can see how, I mean, there's some things we know and some things we can guess about the man. Um, We can, it is believed that he has some kind of apparent anxiety about stairs. Hmm. This is fairly widely documented. It has not been proven, but he has, for years, he's been tweeting about how President Obama should use the handrail when he gets off Air Force One, that it's very unsafe. He's got some hang-ups, and I think one of them is stairs. So we know he doesn't like stairs. We know he doesn't like wind. 
He's got a low center of gravity. He should be pretty good on stairs. Yeah, I think he doesn't trust his tiny feet. I think he's afraid he's going to go ass over a tea kettle. But like, think about getting on and off of planes it must be such a stressful thing. And yet lately, he's been doing more and more of those screaming over the helicopter blade sound, uh, little mini press conferences. So he must have found something that, that is working for him. I feel like the, whew, I mean, just the like small power of the presidency, which is no small power. Mm-hmm. Right. But the small power to just be ferried everywhere by helicopter and like Air Force One, even even though Air Force One is probably decorated atrociously Mm -hmm. and he's not helping. uh, I can imagine that they have they have probably screwed some chandeliers into the ceiling of of Air Force One. And we're just not seeing it yet. I imagine it being like uh, the Duke in uh, a number one king of New York. In, oh um, yeah, Escape from yeah. New York. Where he's got like a chandelier on his limo. I bet it's <laughs> chandeliers on the limo. Oh, why has that not become a meme? But I was just in D.C. the other day, and some minor, minor, minor dignitary drove by in with a police escort, and I think it was a caravan of like two SUVs. And I speculated to now there was somebody standing on the street corner, and as you know, on the East Coast, nobody likes being addressed more than just an east coaster standing waiting for a light mm-hmm. by a by a stranger like hey who do you think is in that caravan that mm-hmm. type of thing and the local guy was like i don't know man and then the light changed and i was like well that hey great talk mm-hmm. but i was trying to think like who gets a minor league police escort like that like you know it wasn't super minor league it was four cops two at each corner and they were getting to run lights. Maybe somebody from Congress? Uh, well, somebody else, I think, overheard me talk to Mr. Guy, who then split. And I think over my shoulder, they said, might be Paul Ryan. And I was like, huh, hmm. Paul Ryan, you think it's that? Yeah, I suppose. That's Paul about Ryan. You know, mm-hmm. it's like because like the king of Mombasa is going to get a big entourage. They're going to throw. They're going to be throwing um, uh, flower petals out in mm-hmm, front of them. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's in his rider. That's in his rider, right? Uh, so, but that type of thing, where everywhere you go, that's the thing money can't buy. Like us, like Zuckerberg doesn't get fifty cops following following him and like running red lights. And when when the president comes here, they close down the freeway. Oh yeah. It's so disruptive. And that is a big, I think, a thing that that uh, that President Baseball Hat probably, like, after he realized, oh, you don't get chandeliers in your limo, but you do get to close down the freeway, that's got to be really enticing. That's got to really make a person not want to retire, not want to resign. Mm-hmm. You know, even, yeah. even if you do want to resign, that's going to make you think twice about resigning. Because once that goes away, you never get it back. I mean, something that, that, that many of us can appreciate or understand is first class on a plane. So I'd, I'd had an okay number of plane flights throughout my life. And then at one point during the dot-com days, my boss, who was a really great guy, um, upgraded me. And I flew in 1999-2000. I flew in first class for the first time. And you know it's such a it's such a lame joke to make, but it 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 is kind of hard to go back. Like once you've been in first class, and you especially today. I mean, first class today is like, uh, it, it, let's just put it this way: coach today, not a fun experience. We've talked about no. this, no, we but have. it is once you have experienced that, and you go like, this does not have to be stressful and awful, and I get to feel a little bit fancy. 
Like, especially if you're a poor kid like me, you go like, Ooh, this is, this is kind of nice. I would love to do this again. And I bet it's like that to the 10th power, especially if you're uh, say a Steve Mnuchin and, or, or you're a, a, a price. We're talking about politics. We promise we wouldn't do that. Did we, do we yeah. promise we wouldn't talk about politics? Well, you know, you We're talking about optics. Op- We're talking about optics. Optics. You always had an unofficial policy of let's not talk about politics. Cause I want to be able but, to release them. This is yeah, why but, we don't uh, talk about religion in the ones that make it on the air. <laughs> but we are talking about a good streak, John. Optics. Don't break it. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not. Believe you me, my friend. I know where the line is. I know where Do it you? is. Yeah, because you get quiet. You get quiet for a little while, and then you then there's a little bit of this noise. There's, there's a little it's moment where you're like twenty minutes in. Well, no, no, no. I'm. I, I know. I know. There was a there was a while there, right? Where right about an hour and ten minutes in, where you were like, "This is a releasable podcast." You would. You would. It would be so good. It would be so close yeah. to being done. It'd be so close, and then you would find a message that you wanted yeah. to get out. Yeah. But you yeah. know, I don't. I'm not. You know, I don't disagree with your message. I just want to, you know, help the nice people. Yeah, I know. I know. Um. Uh, so <laughs> no, I believe. I, I believe the children are our future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do. Are you also, prepared to let them lead the way? Are you really prepared? That's the thing about being forty nine. Mm-hmm. I feel like one of the challenges that I've been facing is how do I continue to be useful to people, which I've always desired to be and tried to be. How do I continue to be useful while also acknowledging that whether or not I think a thing matters or is good or is sensible no longer really matters. Mm-hmm. And so I want to continue to be useful. It's, but one, thing, it's also, one thing to realize that intellectually, and then it's one thing to see it played out in every single exchange of your life. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's you don't a, want to be Homer difference. Simpson's dad where you're yelling at clouds. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you do want to be useful. And there was a time, I think, a long time before my dad's generation, where the understanding continued to be that as people get older they accrue wisdom and so are more useful even if they aren't down in the trenches doing things you go consult them or whatever and then but you know things changed that's not that's not fair to say the 20th century a lot of stuff happened really fast but for for many decades maybe even centuries the pace of change would not exceed what happened over two generations and you could say well you know dad mom dad have seen some shit like we should listen to them yeah, right. I mean, Dad, they, they know how the to deal with way? the root cellar. We need the root cellar. They know from root cellar. We should be listening to them. Yeah, right. The 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 wagon is broken, and only Dad knows how to fix it. Or mm-hmm. how do you how do you water an older horse? Mm. And you know, Gramps has got that kind of. But but Gramps now is like, here's how you water an older horse, and like the kids are like on Jetson scooters, and yeah. they're like, we don't use horses. Gramps. It's true. That's a good example. Yeah. Well, you know. I'm, I like to help. You've given I'm, it I some really... thought. You've given it some thought. But like how... How can you be how useful? Can, how can, how can be we useful? be useful without seeming grouchy? Mm-hmm. This has been something that we've been navigating all this time. And realizing that my... Uh, looking at those photos of my dad right around the time that I was that I was a young, young guy. And my dad was like... They all grew their sideburns long. Yeah, you know, all, like, 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 like over one like season. Suddenly yeah. every guy had sideburns. My dad went from being like wearing from wearing a James Bond tuxedo to having sideburns, long sideburns, and wearing a kind of leather, like a leather trench coat. Not even leather, but like suede trench coat. Mm. And I was like, "What happened to my dad?" It's a pimpification uh, of dads. 
Yeah, and then they're and then they're like going on ski trips, and they got big, 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 wide ties. Oh, the ties! And that was that was during that era when the when my dad would appear in court, and the judge would because the judges were maybe the last people to adopt sideburns. The judge, a couple of times, a judge told my dad that 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 his the blazer that he was wearing in court was not suitable. Oh, right, like that's your freebie. Yeah, like you just you just got you your know, freebie. You know what, Dave? Because they mm-hmm. also like they all drank together or whatever. So it was like, hey, Dave, sidebar, mm-hmm. don't ever wear that jacket in court again. And my dad was like, well, you know, I was on my way somewhere else. Yeah. Um. So that you know, I also don't want that to happen where we're just like, okay, well, we're we're gonna dye our hair too. Uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna like manic panic my hair. Mm-hmm. To, to to stay in the game, mm-hmm. it's like no, you're not. You're not going to do that either. Yeah, who's that helping? Yeah, you're not going to manic panic. I think uh, this is not interesting or funny, but I think two things you can do are uh, to embrace uh, curiosity and kindness. Oh, curiosity and kindness. Curiosity, it's not funny, but curiosity and kindness. I think you know, it, kindness kindness doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't I, hurt you. As long as you're not being, a, as long as you're not being a dick about it or doing it for your own selfish reasons. But like, you know, That's if I go fun. to the, I go to the bodega, uh, you know, a couple three times a week, and I see the lady at the bodega who's always lady at the bodega, and you know, she goes, she's a, she's a woman in flux. She's a recent grandmother. She's she's always mm-hmm. trying new things. She's got mm-hmm. different nails. She's got different eyebrows. She's got different hair. She's trying some things out. And mm-hmm. I will frequently, if if I feel this, I will say, hey, I really like your hair. And yeah. That's it. That's it. I mean, cool I, I hope that's not too gross a thing to say to a 60 year old woman, but like, I'll say, Hey, I really like your hair. And that's it. Have you ever, have you ever said eyebrows on fleek? Oh, I should do that. I should do that. You I don't want to get too personal about like a specific part. Like, I don't want to be like, Oh, your, your left arm looks good today. You know, you get too specific and it gets kind of odd. Like you have nice a, incisors. There was a while there where, where, uh, when I would use on fleek, <laughs> uh, which I now spell E N. Fleek. En fleek. Mm, en fleek. En fleek. Oh, in the French style. Uh, I would get a lot of, like, big eye rolls from uh, from my Millennium followers. <laughs> because... You're like the lady on Curb Your Enthusiasm who says LOL out loud. <laughs> LOL. I, I, I LOL. <laughs> well, you know, I say lol out loud all you the time. You got me on lol. I, lol. You got me on lol, and now I'll never look back. There's three different lols, and I deploy them tactically. Yes. The three laws, right? <laughs> the, that, three, that's, the three laws you meet in heaven. <laughs> well, someday when the book is written about our time, the three laws are going to be a whole chapter. It seems like one law. That ain't one law. That's three different laws. But as time went on and the millenniums decided that all fleek was no longer their thing, <laughs> they weren't doing it. I was like, no, 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 no. All fleek is a thing. You can't like, turn back you, now. You, you, you may not want it, but you, I you put want it out there. You did that. You put it out there. Yeah, it was you. On fleek was you, not mm-hmm. me. But now I feel like, and the thing is, I originally on fleek was only for eyebrows. Is that right? Yeah, it was just for eyebrow. Only eyebrows could be on fleek at first. John, is that one of those black lady reaction gif type things that we need to talk about? Is it? Is it? Are we being racial when we say on fleek, or is that just a purely no, without regard know, to race millennium thing? I don't think so. I think it's pure millennium on fleek. I don't know where it came from, and I don't think anybody does. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it may be one. It may be one of those things uh, where it was a misspelling, like prawn. Like, oh, that's some really good prawn, and it, and what it means was porn, but they but they were typing too oh, fast. I thought you meant shrimps. And also prawn, uh, shrimping. They call it. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Or or uh, 
whatever, all those things that come out of 4chan where somebody's like <laughs> typing too fast and they don't. Sticking your computer away. They don't get it right. Like now yeah. on 4chan, instead <clears throat> of lol, they say kek, K-E-K. Because they're near each other? I No, they're not at all. They're no. not. I mean, lol is right next to each other. K-E-K is far away, but it 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 stands for something else. And so on 4chan now everybody goes keck keck uh, and it's a it's a forced meme yeah. you know it's that's there's fun. that's a fun thing yeah the forced meme okay you forced know. meme people are always trying to force a meme i'm hoping i can make a meme out of the fact that i'm always typing something wrong on my on ios and i end up getting uh, a comma and the letter m in the middle of mm-hmm. the word did you ever get that I end when I'm texting. I end thirty percent of my texts with a lowercase b. I'm like, "What time are we going to be there, b?" And I don't know why. Oh, it's because the b is right in the center above the space bar. Oh, so you do a dip dip on the bar, and you accidentally hit a b. I accidentally hit a b. So where are we going, b? And no one ever comments on it. Nobody's ever like, "Why are you calling me b?" It's kind of rappy. It sounds a little bit rappy. Yeah. What's up, b? What up? What up, b? <laughs> I have a friend that. Ends every text with BB. What's up, BB? And I think what he means is baby. What's up, baby? Oh, I don't like but that at all. I hate it. And I said to him a couple of times, like, please don't call me BB. And he's like, no, it means like, it means like BB. And I'm like, no, 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 it does not. I don't. It's like a I mommy mean, blogger. I want to spend more time with my BB. BB. Like it's like a French diminutive that I don't like applied to me. Oh, like a baby. Like a baby. A baby. Now, is that a black lady reaction gift thing when you call somebody bae? Isn't that a black lady reaction gift thing we need to talk about? Don't think so. I think that's a pure millennium thing. Okay, what's a bae? A bae is like a it's like a sweet baby, but it's... Bae. That's my baby, but it's bae. What about squad it, goals? See, I use... I deploy squad goals all the time. I will not say bae, and I won't let anybody call me bae. Okay. Oh, uh, you just lay that out there. Just this is not a thing we're going to do. This yeah, stops now. Yeah, don't call me... Don't call me Bay. And most people, most of the millenniums that I associate with have the good sense not to use Bay even in their own lives. I have one that I've been sitting on for several weeks, and I finally had to ask some millenniums about it because I keep seeing it in like Twitter moments, and I don't know what it means. And I, I think I got an answer. But people kept talking about when, they, when there were people like on a reality show that they wanted to hook up, they would say that they're shipping them. Hmm. They say, "Oh yeah, we're we're shipping, uh, you know, Todd and Alice from uh, you know Rippy Bachelor Show or whatever." And I never, hmm. under, I didn't understand what that means. And I thought, and I, the answer that I got is really unsatisfying. They say, "A, it's been around for a long time, idiot, old not man." Not so sure. Not so sure about that. And it but has okay. to do with relationshiping. Are you familiar with shipping as a thing? Sorry, sorry, no. All right. Never, never seen it. Never heard it. I just don't want to. I don't want to be culturally appropriative if I don't need to be Appro- appropriation. I, I don't want to appropriate appropriation. I'm not, that's what I'm shipping. Yeah. Well, I think <sighs> that there's. I think that the millenniums have a lot of different levels of relationship that we didn't have. Oh, say it, sister. Right, because yes. we had like not very they're, many and levels. They're okay, of not it. even knowing what the relationship is. They seem totally I, fine with it. It's just every everything's all higgledy piggledy, like whatever. Yes, you can say someone's your bay. You yes. can be shipping with them. You, you can shipping. be net, Netflix and fleeking with John, them. John, could it be complicated? I think it. I think that's part of how, where it got started. Right? Does it's the complication begin with a hookup? It Are you shipping a hookup? A, it might be a Netflix on fleek. Oh, it's fleek and chill. I'm uh, fleek and chill. I'm not sure if it's true, 
Like I, I, one of my first millennium friends back when they were still like 20, yeah. uh, used to say to me all the time, used to sort of brag in a braggy young person way about yes. how fluid their relationships were. Uh, and as time that, went that on, that's kind of woke, right? It was well it, at the time. I think it was Ben. It was it was a contrast that that uh, that this friend was making between uh, his you know, like young, cool, more groovy people and my old stuck in the mud people. And I never had the heart to tell him mm-hmm. that you know that I'd uh, whatever man I'd like touch more dicks than you've had hot dinners. Oh, you even took my you took the entire line. You took both yeah. parts. You yeah. you were yeah. there. You're your patient zero for fluidity. Yeah. That's right. I was so fluid in the early nineties. Just like so the quote right for notes. It's you've had you've touched more dicks than you've had hot meals. Is that it? Hot dinner. Hot dinner. <laughs> <laughs> if you put in hot lunches too, it's too many. It's too many dicks. It's too many. I haven't touched that many dicks. But, okay. But uh, but more than hot more than he had had hot dinners at the time. Now he may have had more hot dinners in the t- in the interim. But I, I was I was so fluid. I had a viscosity. You know what I mean? Like I do. I, it was like I do. early times. This was like we were very just ex- free. existential viscosity. You, you were like a you were like a, a human semen squid. You could just fit into any space. Look, you right? know, give it to you. Tell me where it is, and mm-hmm. I will squeeze in there. Yeah. What time and what do I wear? But as time has gone on, and now that he's a person that's in his in his thirties, like that fluidity, his fluidity has has really uh, coagulated. Right and now he's just sort of like he just wants a girlfriend now. Oh, and you, you get like, in the habit of thinking that you're progressive. Yeah, or you think like, oh man, I'm always I'm always going to live like this. Me and my friends are always going to pig pile naked and, and just like Netflix and and uh, and fleek all yeah. all night and day. Um, and it's like, nah, well, yeah. maybe, yeah. but probably everybody wants, eventually everybody wants a white picket fence, except for a very few of us. And yeah, I also just always think about the guys, uh, that they were kind of ungraciously called townies, but, but the guys in their late twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, who kept coming to college parties years after they had gone there for one semester. It's, Ruh-roh. it's, it's nah, I mean, that's not a good look in a pig pile. No, there was a, there was a, that's a not, young that's not, kid. I would say that, that's not for you. Right. There was a uh, there was a young kid who had a band during the during peak indie rock years here in Seattle, and his dad was the bass player in the band. Hmm. And his dad was probably in his forties, mm-hmm. and the kid was late teens, and his dad wore color in his hair, you know, like manic panic. Hmm. And it was very uncomfortable for all of us because <laughs> you don't want to really be interacting with the kid uh-uh. because he's a child. You don't really want to be That's a, quite interacting. A pairing. Quite you a don't pa- want to interact with the dad because he's a dad. He's not your dad, but he's he's clearly a dad. He's a dad, yeah. And but they would be at parties and events like they would. The kid could be there because his dad was there, mm-hmm. and his dad shouldn't have been there. Mm-mm. Uh, and that was always very hard. And now, but you know, what's fortunate is that now I can go to those parties and there's usually like a, there's usually a padded chair that I can sit on and, mm-hmm. and, um, in a corner. And if, if people want to come pay their respects, they can, but you can go and um, you can put your dogs up and maybe hold court a little bit. Um, yeah, you try and put your dogs up. And, uh, and you know, the people that don't want to come, the people that want to stand across the room and go, ah, that guy, mm-hmm. I've never liked that guy. 
Uh, they can do that. Sure. They don't have to come over. No. But it's not like I'm circulating. You know what I mean? I'm not out there like trying to figure out who the young bands are and go hang out with them. <laughs> it's like if the young bands want to come say hello, that's wonderful. I'm doing a recording right now, actually, and one of the and the and the person playing the drums is a member of one of the young bands, and we have a great time together. Oh, I'll bet you do. You know, but then I then I'm music is intergenerational, John. There's so much you guys still have in common. Yeah, it really is a language, Merlin. Mm-hmm. But uh, but then I'm like, oh oh wait, I'm 20 years older than this person. Yeah, 20 years older, which is an entire, which is the lifetime of an entire cool musician. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and put it that way. Uh, you know, they, these young musicians aren't 20. They're in their late 20s. They're already at that age where a musician has to confront the fact that maybe they didn't make it. Mm-hmm. And yet there is still a <laughs> now young... they're playing with an old man. <laughs> yeah, now they're playing with an old guy. Now they're on, on some record by a guy who's like, how, 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 how. I'm sitting in a chair with my fly unzipped. <laughs> <laughs> and and he's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm playing with Howlin' Wolf now. Uh <laughs> <laughs> You've reached that John Hooker stage where yeah. you just like sit on a crate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sit on a crate out in front of a uh, out in front of a diner, and I'm just no, like no. Uh, boom, 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 wow, 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 wow. Uh, which which would absolutely be my dream, right? Oh, apparently, man. apparently, uh, John Lee. For a long time in the later days of his career, and I talked to many people that played with him, uh, he did. Just keep his fly down. Oh, really? Yeah, he just, I mean, and it wasn't really like the audience couldn't. He was sitting on a, on a chair. The yeah. audience couldn't really see it, but everybody else could. <laughs> and I guess it was like for, uh, he was just venting. Uh, but that's that's a bold place in life. And what you, got, you know what that is? John Squad Goals. Right? That you could just have a group goals. group of men that you can really relate to, and you're all just totally comfortable sitting around with your flies down. And nobody talks about it. It doesn't have to be weird. It's not even anything you have to coordinate. It just happens. I I for sure feel like, at least for me, Squad Goals is only uh, an internet joke for mm. me. Like, personally, I don't really have Squad Goals. I do have a goal to have five or six people around my property in my employ, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't call that a squad. Well, you'll know if it becomes a squad. And maybe not everybody who's on the property in the compound is technically in the squad. You might have some, some, you know, you think about Elvis, right? You mm-hmm. think about, you th- think about anybody or you think about Don Corleone. You get these people that like are, are kind of in this uh, hammer, right? Mm-hmm. You get mm-hmm. this uh, retinue of these kind of characters that move in and out, right? Right. And Hammer was paying all of his friends to be there. He was a nice man. He's still a nice man. We He's were at his not birthday that much party. Old. You remember that? Hammer's 50th birthday party. Now I'm 50. Who's <laughs> the asshole now? I know, I know right? And Shit your birthday dog. party's not happening at the Tonga room or whatever. No, no, we just go out and have a quiet dinner and get to bed early. I have a couple of squads <laughs> I'm actually a member of. You have a couple of squads. I there think I'm squads. an emeritus member of some squads. I think I'm an adjunct squaddy. But there are but there are people that are full on like the mm-hmm. squad is where they live and belong. I bet it's because I bet it's because of FOMO. FOMO first, mm-hmm. Oscar first in, last out. First made. It's called the fear of missing out. Olympics. Oh, the fear of missing it's the, out. It's the primary uh, existential characteristic of millenniums. Is there FOMO? Oh, they have FOMO. They have FOMO. They have a fear of missing out. I feel like the squads that I am the the squads that I attend mm-hmm. are they're not millennium squads. They're like squads of guys that get together and watch football games and play poker. 
like rock people who do that. Mm-hmm. Rock, rock people rock, who play, used to, play some rock poker. They used to be ashamed that they would watch football a little bit because it wasn't very rock. But then at a certain point, they just were like, "That's." I just want to watch football, whether it's rock or not. And Even they made we it was rock. described it as something people took pretty seriously, where you, you weren't allowed to just shuck and jive and walk around and, you know, play grab ass. That a lot of your friends take it fairly seriously, you know, the way some mm-hmm. people watch Game of Thrones. Like, you have to watch this with a very prayerful mindset. You do. It's a, it's a, particularly in Seattle, the professional sports are understood in a kind of George Will context where people intellectualize about sports here. Oh, yeah, I get to be George Plimpton. Yeah, there's a there's a like, oh, no, 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 we're talking about the book about sports. We read the book about sports. We didn't we're not just here for the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, I get it. Yep, 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 yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so and particularly when we lost our basketball team, then it became existential. You could be like dark about sports. Uh, we're still talking about getting a basketball team back. And <gasps> it's almost like different kinds of goths, it. like from the outside. It all looks like the same goth. But like when you're in the squad goal of of the goth, you realize there's different. There's mopey goth. There's football goth. You got mm-hmm. like McDonald's goth. Like they're yeah. all different like variations. Now, now, now a lot of people aren't going to know who McDonald's goth is, but you'll know if you're in the goth. You go, oh, it's that guy. It's McDonald's guy. And every once in a while, you'll see somebody that's like, I'm skater goth, and you go, no, their skater is outside of the realm of goth. You don't. You are not skater goth. That's another captcha. That's another one of those tests. You throw you, you throw in a skater goth, and everybody else. You can instantly know who the real ballers are in in the That's, squad goal. Exactly. You're like punk goth. <clears throat> yes. Sure. Uh, like football goth. Sure. Mm-hmm. But then you're like nature goth. Hmm. No. No. There's no nature. That goth. sounds more black metal. I isn't guess that a nature? Metal. Isn't that a black metal thing? Like those those bands that are like druids with with yeah. the uh, kabuki, the samurai makeup, whatever it's called. Yeah, they're out in those little Scandinavian huts. Scandinavians or Czechs? You could be a Czech goth. You could hella be a Czech goth. That's the that's the entire goth comes from the Czech Republic. I bet I bet the Czechs, with all due respect to the many the many uh, uh, black metal and uh, dark metals. Of, mm. of the Nordic lands. Mm. I bet the Czechs just look in there and like, give me a fucking break. I'm standing here in a creek playing a guitar. You, you, wanna, you want goth? I got goth. I got heavy, I heavy goth. I worship a fucking twig. I feel like the Slovaks are... There's a lot of... This is a thing that you don't always know. Hmm. The eastern Slovakia is a very mountainous region. You know, the Romanians get all the Transylvania vibe. They get to be like, hoo ha 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 mm-hmm. because they got Transylvania there and it's, it's mountainous and it's like, it's like scary, mm-hmm. but Ukraine, Slovakia, Poland, like there's a place in there where the Car- Carpathian mountains are very, very tall, like super tall, like icy, full of bears tall. Mm. And, um, and they're up there doing Doing very gothy things, I think. Like, you gotta, think you gotta get outside the mainstream. Like you, I'm, I don't doubt that there are metal bands in Prague. Certainly, just the law of large numbers tells us that there will be Prague metal bands. But Absolutely. I bet well, you gotta really go up a Carpathian to find some serious goths. Yeah, and that's not even the serious goths, right? Just people, I bet you people the, untethered from the expectations of the city. I think somewhere up in Finland, mm. you know, the Finns hated the Russians so much that they sided with the Nazis. Not hmm. because they believed in Nazism, but because they hated the Russians that much. Yeah, the, the enemy of my enemy. 
that right. situation. The enemy of the enemy is my friend, and they are very. I bet you there's some there are some holes up there that are full of dark magic. Which is the one? Is Iceland the one where they have gnomes? Iceland has gnomes. Does, do, do the Finns have gnomes? I don't think of the Finns as gnomic. Okay. I think that the the Swedes have gnomes. I think that the the Nor Norsk mm-hmm. have gnomes. The Danish definitely have the Dansk, gnomes. the Dansk mm-hmm. Dansk people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the I think the the gnomes of Iceland probably came. They were like in the hold of the ship that came from Denmark, and they snuck out like like a brown rat. Like a little little bit of a rat, they colonized. But it's a little on they... the nose there because it's for them. That's like that's like uh, that's like Pokemon's there. Like that's just part of the culture. There's nobody who's going to be freaked out that you believe in gnomes. Right. Maybe a Finn. You take a Finn, a true Russian hating Finn, and their attachment to the gnomic or, or uh, gnomic culture uh, is something that's more more bespoke and personal. That's their squad goal. I feel like probably in Finland they have wraiths. Oh, I love wraiths. <laughs> right? I love them. Right, more than gnomes. There's not like somebody living in a tree stump. It's like some. It's like a ghoul walking through a blown out forest that that never sees light. We had Tom Petty. He was our race. Ah, Tom Petty. I know, right? Fucking a. What else was you know, I going to ask you about? I want to ask you just, about your basement. No, go ahead. Talk about Tom Petty. Oh, just for a second. I no, mean, I, I'll talk all the Tom Petty you want. I do want to hear about the progress of your house if it suits you. Well, so progress of the house goes like this: some. Mm-hmm. Who became a neighborhood? I, I know you don't necessarily sure. follow the internet as regards to this show, but I can tell you this has this has been brought up on other programs that I do from people who listen to the show. People are very interested in what's happening with Psalm. People hmm. are very interested with who's in the basement? Peter. Okay, Peter. Peter and Psalm and, and retinue at your compound. People are very curious about what's happening with this, just as much as you're comfortable. Could you give our listeners an update on where you are? So Psalm uh really kicked it into high gear. At a certain point, uh, Sam had everything going at once at, at one point, right? Mm. He had a lot of balls in the air. Mm-hmm. He had, he was power washing the paint off the house. He was rebuilding the porch that I had torn apart. He was also doing kind of a magical thing, which, uh, you always want, but can never sort of know how to ask for, which was, he was just walking around the house and in the course of doing his other things, pressure washing and, and the like. He was also noticing broken things and fixing them without being asked. This is a phenomenon that I call power puttering. It's the ability to move through a space, accomplish things, even as you're realizing what else needs to be accomplished. It's a very powerful concept. It's incredible. And uh, he, I came home one day and walked around the back of the house, and Sam had put a bunch of, he had replaced all the broken shingles. What? And I was like, we didn't even talk about shingles. And he he's was a, like, he's oh, equipped yeah. for that? He's got that in his van? He's just got shingles sitting around? Yeah, he was well, or he went and got some. Yeah, he was shingles. like on his way to get some paint, and he was like, "I'll get a little bundle of shingles, shingles too, and fix those broken shingles." So he was doing that kind of thing, which was pretty astonishing. And then his friend arrived, and his friend was from Mexico, and some, and he did not have a common language. Um, and I said to Sam at one point, how long have you been, uh, working with your friend? And he said, oh, for years where he's like, he's like my guy. Wow. But their, their bond them, goes beyond language. Yeah. Listening to them talk Psalms like Sam is throwing out some like pigeon Spanish 
and the guy is back at him kind of with a little bit of that sort of like see no kind of stuff where they were just communicating, I guess, by by, yeah, by common understanding of what needs done. And so he was Psalm's painter. And all of a sudden he was on the roof. He didn't carry a little transistor radio with him. He just was on the roof doing things. And within the space of two days, the entire house wa- went from a stripped, uh, like, a bomb crater to a completely painted house. And, like, pretty well done. Unfortunately, this was right when the people across the street, Dan and his wife, who had finally completed the restoration of Jamaica's house, right. they were trying to have open houses. So... All of a sudden, all these people that I'm hoping will filter down into my new neighbors, they're all coming by the house to see how it's going. And I've got, like, a couple of guys on the roof, one of them with a transistor radio on his belt, <laughs> yelling at each other in, an, in like, a patois. In a language of their own design. <laughs> yeah. And one of them's, like, got a compressor. And, they're go- and so the, I talked to the real estate agent, and they were like, no, 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 it's good. It communicates that the neighborhood is really coming up. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I guess. But, but when you combine that with the RV... Mm. <laughs> oh, that's right. like a third that's a third element you're asking other people to accept <laughs> like lots of rock <laughs> two guys on the roof the guy and and, and it, but it, the boss of the porch is still missing at this point, right yeah and the, and the owner appears to have dug a trench around his house <laughs> and he has a vintage rv that's a lot to take in but this hey, entire neighbor. time this entire time peter's down in the basement also with a compressor also like doing also like finishing a basement which was never intended to be finished. And there is some goth graffiti down there from a time in the 70s, I think, when one of the kids, one of the 12 kids that grew up in this house had some sort of heavy rock band. But pre, I mean, like, like, um, like Newcastle Brown Ale era heavy rock band. Okay. Like, this is where Venom is from. <laughs> that type of thing. Right. Uh, so there's some little there's some quizzical sort of like uh, quasi satanic pentagrams down but they, there. They can't see that. Right. Nobody can see it. No. But do, it's there. Do they know there's a compressor down there. You can hear a couple of different compressors going on and off okay. around the property. <sighs> but so where we are right now, what happened was uh, Sam and his partner were just kicking ass. And then the one disappointment I have is that right at the end they they got to the finish line they got to within sight of the finish line and then they just like sort of chucked it all in and were gone huh? and what that meant was they were just like and we're done bye huh. and i walked around the house that day and i realized Oh, no, in the last day, they painted all the windows shut. Like, they just got excited to be done, kind of. And you would think that somebody that did this professionally would know how to not 
just get excited to be done on the last day because he had done so much sort of strangely meticulous work around the place. He made everything. It all came together, right? He fixed the porch. He did the shingles. He did the roof. He flashed everything that he didn't have to flash. He fixed stuff all around the house that no one asked him to do. And then at the 11th hour, his guy and he just painted all the windows shut. Mm. And as he was leaving, I think I said, Hey, uh, hey, uh, you guys coming back to do the, like, not paint the window shut thing? Mm -hmm. And they were like, I think uh, they both were like, oh, right. And they walked around the house once. (sighs) And I was like, oh, okay, they're going to take care of this. And then they were gone. And so now here I am. Um. And I'm going around the house with an exacto knife, oh, no. and a and a uh, and a pry bar, and I'm cutting the paint and I'm pry barring the windows open. Oh no! And that means that I'm gonna have to fix the paint where I fuck it up, trying to get the windows open, right? Because you can't, you know, if that if that's painted as a seam, and you most well, if it tears off a little sheet. Gotta little, tear it. Yeah, little bit's gonna tear, and then you gotta paint. And then in painting the windows shut, I did kind of a little bit of a radical thing, which I'd been wanting to do for ten years, which was that. So when Sam said I'm gonna paint the house, he was like, "What color do you want to paint it?" And I said, "Sam, it's a white house. It was born. It's a farmhouse, right? It was born white. It's always gonna be painted white. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it, the trim is white. The house is white. The porch is white. It doesn't." If I were to come in here and be one of those people that's like, I want my house to be gunmetal gray with, with the you know like luminescent green trim, mm-hmm. I would be the asshole. I would be. That's wrong. That's not what. It's this, like it's like your house wants to be white. It is, and it doesn't. I mean, it's like it couldn't be other. Mm-hmm. It has a white barn. It's a white house, and it's not one of those neighborhoods where there are a lot of white houses. This is the only one. It's got a white picket fence that matches the house. That's how it's made. Mm-hmm. And so Sam was a little disappointed that he didn't get to make it fancier. Um, but I did say what I've always wanted is black lacquer window uh, sashes. So just the innerest part of the window, the part that actually moves. Black as in like black? Like lacquer. Black like it looks like a, like, it looks like a Japanese box. Mm. So black. black. None blacker. Mm-mm. Wow. None more black. That must that, that must be a very dramatic look. It's very good, and it's the thing is, it's very subtle. You don't you 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 know you don't notice it so much as you feel it. Mm. You feel that sort of Slovakian Carpathian yes. darkness. You may not know what it is. You notice there's something about this though. This is special. Yeah, like a Japanese but, box. But Sam and his uh, and his uh, best friend did mm-hmm. not properly tape. And so there's a little bit of bleed. So I have to go back, not just and paint the windows where I've cut them, but also paint over the little dabs of black that are on the other side. Ah, you hate that feeling where you've had work performed and now it just makes work for you. Yeah. And, and yet, I mean, this is certainly work I'm capable of doing without too much complaint, but it isn't done and it didn't get done hundred percent right. And everything else he did was great. And it just felt like I, I was very sympathetic to it where he was like, I'm going to be done by Thursday. And then Thursday came and there was another day of work to do. 
and maybe he had budgeted, maybe he had scheduled something that started on Thursday, and he just had to leave. And the thing was, I I gave him a nice tip because I I loved him. So you did eventually get to where you talked about money. I did. I was like, I was like, uh, he he made me an offer on the whole job. He was like, what about this amount? And I felt very strongly that Sam was somebody that I had absolutely no interest in trying to negotiate him down. Mm-hmm. I was like, Sam, that is a fine amount, and let us have it be. So the project management triangle done. becomes like we're locking in this amount, and then our scope and quality will. Kind of is it, is encompassed by this amount. Okay, and that's the hard like, the hard edge is the is the amount. Yeah, and I yeah. feel like you can definitely paint your house for fifteen thousand dollars, and I didn't want to paint it for fifteen thousand dollars. But if you paint your house for seventy five hundred dollars, mm-hmm. you do not get a fifteen thousand dollars job. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I felt like the quality of the job overall that Sam did on the entire property was well in excess mm-hmm. of what he was asking. And so I tipped him also, but there is this additional problem of like, oh, now I have this thing to do. That leaves a, and, leaves a bad taste in your mouth because everything else went so well, he didn't nail the landing. Yeah, only slightly because I still feel like he did a he did a bang up job for me. Mm-hmm. But there is that little bit of like, hmm, Psalms, Psalms guy, as he described him. This is his mejor did, amigo? Yeah, mm-hmm. did not... Maybe take the pride in the last. He might have been a bad influence. Who knows what's going on between those two? Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine them going and getting a drink after work because I do not know what they would talk about. (laughs) Uh, Because they didn't have even a lot to. They it it was not. I think some often instructed him on what to do next by pointing with the backside of a paintbrush. That'll work fine. I think if you're clearing brush. And you understand that there's an area where there's brush, where you went there to not be brush, and brush has to go to somewhere else via a given means. Pointing with a paintbrush is more than enough. Yeah. But there was an understanding between them, because Psalm's guy was not a young person, right? He was a man my own age. Mm. So there was an assumption between them, I think, that he was talented at his work and did not need to be supervised. And my feeling about the painting of the windows shut is not that Psalm's guy did it and didn't and some wasn't hip to it. I think it was more that they both like, there was a little bit of a nod that went on between them. Like, are we good here? Mm-hmm. I feel like we're pretty, I think I feel like we were pretty good. And it might be that some underbid the job and felt like by the end I had gotten good value because that's how I feel. But some definitely left in the, in a way that did not, I, what I wanted to say was, Sam, you're welcome here anytime. Mm-hmm. God, that would you have know? been so great to land on that. that. This whole story has been leading up to, Sam, you're welcome back anytime. You know what? Yeah, and- I could see this getting to a point where he's on something like a retainer, where Sam just, went, when it suits him, you know, every uh, six to 14 weeks, he just drives by and notices something that needs fixing. Yeah, and comes Wouldn't in that be and says, ideal? here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fix this for you. And I'd be like, absolutely, Sam. You know what? Like, I want, you know what I want now? I want a weather vane on top of the barn. I want a weather vane in the style of, um, not of a chicken. Mm-hmm. I don't want a chicken on top of the barn. What I want is no a po- sailing yeah. ship. Mm-hmm. A sailing ship that points in the direction of the wind. And Let I have a little creativity. You could just say, I want a cool mailbox that's hard to knock down. Boom, mailbox. I do need that. My current mailbox is actually, like, screwed to the phone pole. <laughs> 
<laughs> is that up to code? I don't think so. I don't think anybody likes it. But when I got here, it was screwed to the phone pole. And then when it started to fall down, because mm-hmm. phone poles, you need a pretty good screw to get into an old, and I have, I have old phone poles. They're very porous. They're porous. They are. They're. They're. This one's rotted to the core, and so I had to find. So the phone, the mailbox started to fall off the phone pole, oh, and uh, and so I had to find, I had to find a some hella screws, but I found them in the barn, and uh, and so I zipped that thing back into the phone pole, and even now, when the when the garbage truck goes by too fast, the mail. <laughs> mailbox sort of rattles <laughs> it's prime to get mailbox baseball but i don't think kids today know what that is uh-huh uh, <laughs> these kids today these kids today have never hit a mailbox with a baseball bat they don't even know they don't even know how they're, fun they're it busy is. out there snapchatting with their fancy glasses yeah so anyway but peter's still here and now peter has done a, a pretty great job of um of doing the basement so much so that the basement now is a is a constant temperature of sixty five degrees, whereas That's before such a I think, big temperature. Yeah, the basement used to go from ninety degrees to nine degrees, depending on what was going on outside. And you don't want to have fancy equipment down there in a situation like that. Nope, that's not a place that you want to store your uh, your precious uh, old uh, like like uh, Western State Hurricanes posters because uh-uh. they're going to get little mold spots on them. Uh-huh. But I think today, even, Peter is down in the basement, even maybe while we speak. So while we were doing the show, my mom came into the room, and she handed me on a piece of yellow legal paper Mm. a note that said, handed me a note that said, I'm sorry, comma, I'm getting sick, and I'm going home to bed. Oh, no. I've given Peter the codes to the storage unit. So now Peter has the codes. Okay. Now, I don't know what she and Peter have discussed. That sounds like quite an escalation. Uh, is, that, is that in Peter's purview? No, no, no. I trust Peter with the codes. Okay, trust him with the codes. I feel like Peter could have the launch codes even. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter, so I, was, I went to a party the other day, and another friend of mine said that he and Peter were, were thinking about getting into the apple cider business. <laughs> Okay. And, I, and I said, <laughs> okay, I'm listening. I said, tell me more. <laughs> and he walked me into his garage, which was full of bins of little crab apples. Mm-hmm. And he said, <laughs> he said, these are, these crab apples are from the Loire region of France and these crab apples are from the Piedmont area of Italy and these crab what? and I was and I was like where do you get all these and he said well up north of Seattle there is uh there's a agricultural a large agricultural area around the town of Arlington and there's a man who has a large property that has all of these magical vintage cider apples growing it, with names like the names of uh, heritage rabbits. Oh, okay. So they originated from these European climbs, but right. these are locally sourced, uh, technically speaking. Yeah. Because I, I don't know of... how you get a crab apple from Italy and still have it be nice for cider. Well, that's right. You wouldn't have that shipped. Mm-hmm. Um, but the apples are, a lot of them are like apples that are lost to time. Mm. No, they don't exist in France anymore because they've all been uh, like, uh, Mega cultured, mm-hmm. mega, mega agri, 
uh, out because they uh, because apparently all the cider apples they have there now are by Monsanto. Yeah, monoculture. So, mm-hmm. so these are uh, these are like these incredible cider apples, and my friend Michael has decided that cider making might be his new jam, but he <sighs> wants but he and Peter are going to partner up on this. Okay. Uh, and I Peter, was like, Peter sounds like a go getter. Oh, Peter's got a lot. Of, you know, Peter lives on a houseboat. Did I yeah, tell you that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so Peter's always. He so you gotta have a certain state of mind and be on a, a boat that's a house. You well, gotta re- have a real different state of mind. And when I talk to him about it, I've never actually been on it, but he says it's more of a house shed or it's more of a shed boat <laughs> rather than a houseboat. And mm. I'm like, I've been down around Lake Union a lot, and I have seen a lot of these shed boats. Which are old, you know, they're properly like these were places that fishermen lived in the 1910s that are still there. And they're usually like what you would which you would call like a shingled bedroom on a floating pallet. It's the way somebody would do ice fishing in a cartoon kind of. Yeah, it's more like it's like, a, it's like a portalet that happens to be floating. Yeah, enough to put a enough to put a like a double bed, a lamp chimney. Maybe, a potty and maybe a maybe a little kitchen, but like not a ton of. I don't think it's a ton. I don't think you can play frisbee in it. But you also isn't it true? A lot of the times with these things, it's not the kind of thing where you would unmoor it and like uh, go out for the day. No, it's mainly it is a floating shack. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a floating shack, and I think what happens is you're renting uh, the right to to tie it up to mm-hmm. someplace. But if that if that person says like you're out. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't like your kind here. You can hook a 15-horsepower Evinrude oh, to it. Nice. And on a calm day, like, meh, your way across the lake oh, wow. to a place where somebody else is like, yeah, you can tie your house. You got to find a new slip. You tie your house up here. Mm. But, the, but the end of the dock position on all of the houseboat moorages around Lake Union is really pride of place. Um, you do not come Because oh, you along. get privacy. Well, and and expansive view. I mean, you're the end of the dock, right? Okay. It's like you're at the top of the mountain, and you don't just come along and like moor your little your little outhouse on the front of somebody's dock. I mean, mm-hmm. there's like little slots I think that they will find for you, right? But typically, so Peter was actually talking about the people that own the berth, they own the moorage where there's a, this houseboat community, and it's one of the older style ones where everybody there is still a hippie. Mm-hmm. Most of the houseboats now are owned. We got a lot Lloyd. of that up in Marin. Yeah, right. There's still hippies, tons of hippies. But I mean, up there. living on, especially living on uh, uh, boat shacks. Living on boat shacks. I think Alan and, Watt did that. I think Alan Watt lived on a boat shack. I feel like up until about 1995, you could be just somebody that lived on a houseboat. It wasn't a thing that mm-hmm. was considered magical. It was neither cute nor weird. It was just like, oh yeah, I live down on a houseboat. Oh sure, sure, like. You like living in a small place that mm-hmm. that that goes that bobs around when somebody goes by in a boat. Mm-hmm. But then I think I think uh, Sleepless in Seattle changed it. But also, like mm-hmm. lawyers are always looking to take something nice and make it bad. But Peter still lives in one of these communities where everybody's like an old grouchy hippie, and the people that own the the marina mm-hmm. just rented a new. End space. Oh, which did not. What there were people already there that were on the end. Seems like you'd want to promote from within. It does, but in this case, they said, "Is it Paul yeah. Allen? Is it Paul Allen?" They said somebody came along and they <gasps> want to 
pay a lot of money to be <sighs> on the end. The only true and, wealth is property. And uh, that's right. Like it's a view space mm-hmm. and they built a three, like some enormous, because there are limits on how big your houseboat can be. The God Coast willing. Guard, yeah. Nobody wants Coast a monster Guard, house. Yeah. The Coast Guard says, no, 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 you can't do that. But they, they went right up to the property line, if you know what I'm saying, mm. on how big their houseboat could be. And they plopped it down on the end. Oh, shame. Shame. I know. And the entire neighborhood is up in arms about it. And by neighborhood, I mean yeah, floating the other people in shacks. But like, yeah, you, yeah. you could go happy good Jackie on that guy. You know, yeah, if you, well, you, you, you want to get along with your neighbors in an environment like that, because a lot of things can go wrong, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but this guy doesn't care doesn't because care. he looked. He looks at all those people behind him, and he just says, you guys are a sargasso sea of shingles. Laughing and floating, floating and laughing. And he's out there with a big view of the city, and the people are mad, but you know what? Hmm. Capitalism. Shit, dog. So, and Peter's in there, and he's just like, look, I'm living in an outhouse. You guys, you know, my name's Paul, and this is between (laughs) y'all. 